All right, uh, Amos chapter 5, Luke chapter 10. Um, let me just kind of catch you up to speed. As I mentioned, our hope to end the year has been to really slow down and kind of just look back at the year and to talk about what's been happening in our world and our culture. You know, if you remember, if you've been with us, we went to the book of Jonah early this year. Then we went to the book of Hebrews. We like to teach through books of the Bible. But we do find it necessary at times to slow down and say, Lord, what would you say to us, to our church, the church in South Florida? What do you want to write to us? What do you want to say to us? So we looked at different topics like the gospel and grief, the gospel and honor, the gospel and race, the gospel and politics, the gospel and spiritual warfare. We've tried to just kind of look at 2020 and be like, what's happening? There's a lot of grief. There's a lack of honor. Uh, let's talk about what, what does the Bible say about race and politics? We've done that. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the gospel and justice, the gospel and justice. And here's the idea, this word justice or social justice, we're going to speak into that, but sometimes it gets associated maybe with a certain philosophy or political party. And here's the thing, the Bible created and even gave us even the idea or foundation for justice. The Bible has a lot, and I mean a lot to say about justice. And I kind of want to look back as a whole and just like kind of reclaim this word of justice, of doing justice that the scriptures talk about. Uh, this is a biblical idea and principle, and I think the world kind of, kind of hijacked from us and stolen this idea of people have intrinsic value and worth. And so that's why we're going to display and show justice to others. And I just want to look at this and say, Lord, make us a church that, as your word says, that we do justice, not because it's what's in, not because it's trending, but because over a couple hundred times you tell us to do justice. And so we want to be a church that does justice. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And did Jesus do justice? And how do we do justice? And, and we want to look at that as just a whole. You know, where does it come from? Why do we, why do, we do it? So I'm excited for, for this. So let me actually share a couple recommendations. Uh, I'm going to give you two books I want to recommend. I've been doing that a couple times here and there in this series. The first book is called Who's Justice? Who's Justice by, I think I'm going to always say his first name wrong, Al-Sadar McIntyre. Um, this is a really heady book, and I just started, you know, someone came highly recommended, so I just started reading through it, and so far I've had to really slow down as I read through it. This kind of approaches justice from um, the authors looking at, you know, justice according to Aristotle, justice according to Hume and, and Immanuel Kant. He's kind of looking at justice throughout the eras and how we've interpreted what is justice, how do we do justice, where does justice come from. If you want that, like, really deep, rich book on justice. This comes probably the most recommended, and it's, it's been, I've had to slow down through it. It's hard. It's difficult, but it's good, and it really offers a biblical framework to justice. This author's comparing the, how justice has changed throughout the eras, and he's looking at God's divine justice and how it's unchanging and how it offers us stability when it comes to justice. Just want to recommend that. If you're like, hey, that's not going to read that, uh, maybe a couple of you would. That's why I really want to recommend it, but it, there's another book. There's a book called What If Jesus Was Serious? And this is just looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and really, um, in a lot of different ways, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it is doing justice, and that's kind of one vantage point. So uh, that just might be a fun book if you're like, ooh, easy read, two-page chapters. This is great. That's, that's the book for you. All right, so my hope today is just to slow down and say, Lord, what do you want to say to us when it comes to this topic? How can we reclaim this word? How can we, in a sense, redeem this word? How do we realize that justice was not created by the world, but be created by our God? And we want to go back to the source of the one who is just. So let's read Amos chapter 5, verse 21, and that's going to kind of set the tone for our, our topic today, and then we'll pray. Amos chapter 5, verse 21, here's what the Lord says. Amos 5, verse 21. God says, I, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor 
your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. As we look at this topic today, this is a theme we're going to see throughout, which is God is saying your religiosity, the religion, even the good things God created, offerings, burnt offerings, worship, music, song, all of that. He goes, I don't want it because you're not a people who, who does justice, who lives righteously. And he just has this deep desire, God, God, let justice flow like torrents of water, not just trickling down, not like we, we sprinkle justice on, but let it just flow. And my heart is as we approach this topic is that uh, we would become a people who care and fight for justice. So let's pray and let's invite the Lord to lead us in this time. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we get to slow down just to, to read it, to hear from you. God, I just ask that you would speak to us, that you'd correct our heart, our thinking. If, if this topic is one that frustrates us or maybe we look down on others because they're not doing enough, Jesus, we want to repent of both. We want to just say, speak to us, lead us, guide us. God, make us a people who, like your word says, that we do justice, that it would flow uh, from this community of believers here, that we would be an extension, Jesus, of your hands and feet to the world, and that we'd ultimately keep the gospel of you, Jesus, central to everything every topic, that who you are and what you've done would be central to this topic of justice. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for loving us first and loving us more. We ask that you just speak in your name. Amen. So last week, I went to a coffee shop like I always do. I like to go to a lot of coffee shops, and uh, I was there. I, I bring my stuff. I sit down to study, and as I sit down, I see a father and son uh, playing Battleship. Do you remember Battleship? It's a fun game. They're, they're playing Battleship, and the father was like destroying the son, like the son's board was just covered in those red and, and white pegs. And the son had one little Battleship left. It's like a two, you know, pronged Battleship. And the father, and I, I like, I paid attention a little too much, so don't judge me, but I was, he's, the father's like, G9, and he got it. The son's like, hit. So he's one move away. Then the son goes, and the father says the next thing. I think it was like, G8, and, and he hit it. But the kid, he goes, miss, and he moved the Battleship. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I thought it was kind of funny. And then the father's like, oh, that's weird. You know, there's like four options. You can miss and go for other spots. And so the son goes again, and the father goes, and he says like another number, and the son's like, miss. And he's like, huh, okay, miss twice, whatever. And I'm like, just watch, like, this is getting interesting. Now, I kind of thought it was funny at first, but then the third time, the father goes, and he says the next number, and the son's like, miss. And I see him pick up the ship and move it again. The father's like, oh, wow, okay. And then part of me is like, this isn't right. Like, it's funny, but now this is wrong. I just want to be like, he's cheating, he's cheating. Like, I just want to like, yell it. And so then the father goes the fourth time, and like, there's no other options. And he says it, and the son goes, uh, miss. And the dad goes, there's no way, there's no way I missed. Like, I hit it the first time, I did every other angle you can go. He's like, there's no way I missed. The son's like, dad, dad, you missed. He had to be like 10 years old. And the dad's like, come over here. And the son comes over and he like looks at his board. He's like, there's no way I missed. He's like, go check your board. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, you, I guess you did hit it. And I want to be like, that little liar. I was, like, the father saw me watching. It got a little awkward. He's like, why are you looking at me, my son? I was just like smiling and angry. It was weird. But there is this side of me that was like, this is so not right. This is unjust. Like, I demand justice in this moment. And there's something I think within all of us that whenever we see something that's not good, that's not right, that's not true, all of us have this longing for justice. Whenever we see something that is broken, it's unjust, we all have this thought of, God, when will this be fixed? When will this be right? Oh, God, make this right. They deserve justice. This person, this thing, 
Where's the justice? And all of us, even though my, that was a small example, all of us truly have this deep longing in our heart for justice. And why is that? And where does that come from? Like, why do we see an injustice happen and we just, there's something in us that has like this righteous anger. Sometimes it's not always righteous, but we get angry, we get furious. We go, this is not okay. This cannot happen again. I mean, a lot of things have happened in 2020, obviously. A lot of things that we, in our, the deep part of our soul and our spirit, we go, this isn't right. Like, oh, this cannot happen any longer. Obviously, I remember the first time watching the George Floyd video. Deep in my heart, my stomach was just that thought of, God, this is not right. This is disgusting. This is evil. You know, when it comes to justice, you guys, we don't get a chance, we don't get to pick and choose what we think is just or unjust. If something's unjust, we must speak into it. See, I, I want to look at this topic of justice from a biblical vantage point. I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it was, it was beautiful. Um, when Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter from Birmingham jail, when he wrote that letter in response to some pastors who criticized him in a newspaper, I mean, he laid out this beautiful argument for why the church must step up and do justice. And he's quoting like different philosophers and thinkers. And I'm like reading this letter going, this guy's in prison. He doesn't have these books next to him. And he's just giving a beautiful layout for justice. And here's what he said. In this letter to these pastors, uh, he said this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He's basically saying it's all tied together. If there's justice in one area, it's a threat to justice everywhere. The idea for you and I, followers of Jesus, is we don't get to pick and choose what we think is just or unjust. Listen, when it comes to what we're seeing with just racial oppression, we just say that's unjust. When it comes to seeing the greatest genocide of our day, known as abortion, we must say this is unjust. If we see anything that is unjust, we must speak up. We don't get to say, well, I want to be more known for this cause, not this cause. The whole point is for you and I, we have to say something's unjust, it's unjust. We must speak up. You know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And there's this idea that you and I must speak up. We can't be silent. And so I just want to look at a biblical perspective on justice. There's two main thoughts today. All right, you with me? You guys okay? You ready? Here's the two thoughts. Um, our basis for biblical justice, like what is our foundation? for justice. And number two is our responsibility to do justice. Super exciting points. But our basis for justice, like where do we even get this idea or concept of justice? And then we have a responsibility to do justice. And what is that? So let's look at the first one, our basis for justice. What is our basis for justice? What is the foundation for how we say something is just or unjust? Let me just start here. The, our idea and our understanding of justice stems from and flows from the nature and character of God. You and I can know what justice is because God is just. Something I want us to all get and understand is the God, who he is, one of his core attributes and characteristics is we serve a just God. One who is right and true and honest and balanced. One who is fair, does not show partiality to anyone. We serve a very just God. And so we're going to understand and unpack our idea of justice flows from and comes from our understanding of God, and God is just. Now today, get ready, I'm going to throw a lot of verses at to you, all right, like I probably do every week. But here we go. Uh, verses where just God is just. Listen, Isaiah 61, 8. God says, for I, I the Lord, love justice. Just hear that. I love, I love justice. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, God is not unjust. It goes on to say, to forget your work and labor of love. But just, God is not unjust. He's not. Uh, 
Psalm 89, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. Psalm 10, the Lord inclines his ear to do justice for the fatherless and the oppressed. Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Thank you, Jesus. Do you understand this is how God identifies himself? God is like, I love justice. I want you to think about the way he identifies himself as I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm a defender of the weak, of the poor, of the oppressed. I love that this is how God introduces himself. You know, if I introduce myself, sometimes it's like, hi, I'm Josiah Kimber's husband, because I don't know, that's just <laughs> how I go. Or if I go somewhere and speak, it's like, oh, my name is Josiah, I'm a pastor I'm at the Exchange Church. And it's funny, kind of, you know, how you introduce yourself really kind of relates to what you identify with. God is saying, I identify with the weak, with the oppressed, with the widow. I identify with the fatherless. I identify with the people hurting and oppressed. We got to see the heart of God. It's a beautiful heart. This is so unlike ancient gods. I mean, gods in this day and age wanted to identify with the wealthy, the rich, the strong, but not our God. He, he's the God who identifies with the weak, the poor, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow. I'm so thankful we have a God who identifies himself in this way. It's unbelievable. Unlike any other God of ancient history, he identifies with these people. And so here's why I'm bringing all this up. Like, where do we find our foundation for justice? What's our basis for justice? It starts with God and his character and his nature that we serve a just God. Amen. Here's, here's the main point. Um, we can never know justice apart from God. When it comes to our understanding of justice and doing justice, listen, we can never know justice apart from God. It's how we know justice. You know, in the book, Who's Justice by, by McIntyre, like I mentioned, he kind of compares different authors, thinkers, writers, philosophers of their day and age and how they approach justice and what they said about justice and, and why they thought people deserve justice. And he then approaches it from this biblical framework, this divine framework of justice, because he's basically saying there's no common agreement on the definition of justice. There's no common understanding of what is just or unjust. Every culture, every time period disagrees at some point what is just and unjust. It's, it's constantly changing. But from God, our definition of justice is unchanging. And, and he, he approaches this, and it's, it's brilliant to me because he's basically saying, and let me just put this up here, he kind of summarizes um, what has won in our day, like Hume and Immanuel Kant, the idea that you know, justice is socially constructed. There's no objective form of justice. Here's kind of the argument of our day. The argument goes like this. There is no supernatural reality, and so moral values and the definition of justice itself are invented by human beings. Basically saying, moral claims are culturally constructed. This is kind of the common thought of our day. There's no objective uh, understanding of justice. If we have an understanding of justice, it's morally constructed, like we've invented this definition of justice, we agree upon the definition of justice. We do know how dangerous this can be, it's kind of saying basically the majority culture, whatever their definition is, is how we'll define it. And we, so justice is based off not what is true and right, but what does the majority believe and think. We've seen that play out terribly, like in World War II in Nazi Germany, when the majority of culture goes, yeah, concentration camps for Jews, I mean, they're kind of taking our business and they're hurting us and let's just put them over there. I mean, that was in their mind a good thing. It's not, majority culture is not always right. It falls short at some point. 
So how do we define justice? Where do we get this understanding of justice? So just stay with me for just a second. McIntyre in his book, maybe you've heard this illustration. He's like kind of coined it and made it famous. He talks about the wristwatch illustration. And here's the idea. He asks this question. He says, how do you know if a watch is a good watch or a bad watch? How do you know? He goes, well, you first have to understand what is the watch made for? What's its telos? What's its purpose? What's its meaning? Why is the watch there? If the watch is there to nail in, ham- to, to nail in nails, then if it can nail in nails, it's a good watch. If it can't nail in nails, it's a bad watch. But if the watch is there to tell time, if it can tell time, it's a good watch. If it can't tell time, it's a bad watch. And his point is this. Before we know something is good or bad, right or wrong, we have to know the purpose of why it's there. Why is something there? Why is it there? So he relates it to humans. Why are we here? According to the secular worldview, there's really no reason why we're here. We're here by chance. There is no tell us. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. So if there's no meaning and no purpose, you can never know something is good or bad. You just can't. You have to know what it's first there for. What is it there for? And, and, and here's the idea for us. This is why I love the biblical idea of justice. I don't know if you're standing with me. Because for us, we can say, no, no, we know why we're here. We're made by God and for God. We're made for his glory. We're made to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. We're made to be with Jesus and enjoy Jesus. So we know our purpose. We know our meaning. We're not saying we're here by chance. We're saying God put us here by design. There is infinite weight and value and meaning. We are here for a purpose. But the world, we are here by chance. So we're here by chance again. There's no way to judge what's right or what's wrong. But for you and I, we're saying that we know why we're here. We actually can say there is objective truth when it comes to justice, and it's God's description or definition of justice. So our point is our justice definition, it won't change. It's unchanging. But the world's constant idea of what justice is or isn't is constantly changing. It's constantly in flex. And I love this about, again, our Christian worldview offers something the world can't offer. Because we have meaning and purpose and value, we can know that there is right, there is wrong. There is justice. There are things that are unjust. And we have the only worldview. So here's what McIntyre summarizes, if you're still staying with me. He says this, no secular worldview can ever say, we deserve this. They deserve this. They deserve justice. He said, if you have a secular worldview, you can never say the word ought, like they ought to have this, or they should, or they deserve. You can never, why, why would you do that? Why would they deserve it? There's no meaning. There's no value. We just made it up. And so he's saying this is the only worldview that offers truly, you can say those words, they deserve justice. I deserve justice. It's the only time you can say that in the Christian worldview. So let me just put it this way because Keller probably says it better. Here's what he says about this. There is, here's how he says it. Biblical justice is significantly more well-grounded. Listen. It is based on God's character, a moral absolute While the other theories are based on the changing winds of human culture, biblical justice is more penetrating in its analysis of the human condition seen in justice stemming from a a more complex set of causes, social, individual, environmental, spiritual, than any other theory addresses. Uh, Kind of two different thoughts here. But he's looking at the first thought saying, um, our view of justice is more well-grounded. It's not going to change when the culture changes. It's stable. And also, it's more complex. It doesn't just say, well, there's injustices because of this reason. It's saying there's many reasons why there's injustice. It has more of a complex view to this. Now, why does this matter? Say with me, why does this matter? An author named Jonathan Dotson, writing about the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, and just listen to this quote. He says, all of us are prone to replace God with our own vision of justice. This can tyrannize both social justice advocates and those who are indifferent to justice. The advocate can be so dominated by the God of justice that failure to achieve 
just politics treatment and ends leads to self-destructive anger or despair. When enslaved to the God of justice, it's easy to judge those who disagree with us or those who are slow to grasp the gravity of the issue. This functional God of justice leads to divisiveness and disunity. Alternatively, the person who insists on being treated fairly, personal justice, but doesn't seek to extend fair treatment to others, social justice, snubs those in real need. Failure to advocate for social justice is a failure to embrace the character of God. Moreover, it becomes oppressive to those who are in need of social righteousness. Writing off social justice is insensitive, demeaning, and downright ungodly. He calls out both of the idols in our day. There are those who can elevate social justice and activism to this place of God. And almost become very self-righteous about it. Like, wait, you're not doing what I'm doing? Like, do you see how good I am? Like, I'm doing so many good things. Like, you got to do justice like I'm doing justice. And the idea is that will leave them kind of frustrated and angry and bitter at people. They'll always think high view of themselves and low view of others. On the other hand, there are those who think, listen, it's not a big deal. There's always been problems. There's always going to be problems. What can I do? And he says, like, no, the Christian worldview doesn't allow either. Because you realize, listen, the Christian worldview says you must care and fight for justice. You're going to be about justice. But it's also not going to take the place of God. Because at the same time, we know there will never truly be justice until Jesus is here on earth ruling and reigning. That's not an excuse to be lazy and not fight, but that's just an understanding that there's no way mankind is going to offer this utopia way of life that's going to only be through the person of Jesus. And he calls out both of the Christian tendencies to over kind of like worship it as God, over spiritualize it or to demonize it and say whatever, you're just on some activist rant right now. The Bible says, no, but you must approach it from this biblical perspective. You're going to care deeply when you see things that are unjust. So let's just talk about this for a second, church. Justice ultimately starts with God. But also, let me say it this way, justice starts with us, meaning, according to 1 Peter 4, verse 17, Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment is the application of justice. Let me say it this way, Um, we must allow God to transform and change us before we try to transform and change the world. Or another way of saying it is, um, there's too many broken people trying to fix broken systems, I think there's like a, a big hypocrisy that can happen in the church. We're like, we're completely broken and messed up. And we're like, the world's broken, the world's messed up. Let's change it and fix it. And God's saying, let me fix you. God's saying, no, your heart is broken and messed up. You want to change everything and every person, every system, every structure, but your, your heart is far from me. You're broken, you're messed up. And, and it's hypocritical in that sense. Let me, let me read it this way. Jesus put it the best, the most well-known verse quoted to us by non-believers all the time. It's Matthew 7, right? Jesus said what? Listen to the whole context. Jesus said, judge not that you may not be judged. For with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I mean, Jesus hits the nail on the head. The idea is like, man, we, there's so much brokenness, so much pain, so much sin out there. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I, there is, there is, but there's a plank in your eye. And, and church, here's the thing. I want us to be people about justice, and I want to I see us motivated and care about that. But the, the point is, if our life is unjust, meaning we've sinned and sinned against God, whenever we see someone treated poorly and we go, we want justice for them, do we understand that we've sinned against God and we don't have this desire, well, I want justice for God. Like, we should also crave that. We should crave the idea that I need to remove this giant plague from my eye before I ever deal with this into the world. You see, whenever you see the word justice used in the Bible, it's almost always used with the word righteousness. 
There's this idea of justice and righteousness. In Psalm 89, 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice. The idea is before we ever can see public righteousness, there needs to be personal righteousness. Before we ever want to see public justice, there needs to be private justice. So we might say, the world's broken, man, the world's messed up. And I would say, absolutely, I'm broken, I messed up. Jesus, change me. Jesus, fix me. Jesus, make my heart whole and new. Lord, change me before I try to change this world. Like, change me. I can never change the world anyways. It has to be a work of the Spirit in Jesus anyways and me partnering with him and his work. But Jesus, let me not be so much about that, but start here in my heart. Church, amen, right? Let judgment begin with us. Let justice begin with us. Let us remove that plank from our own eye before the speck in the world. I know this, it's not a speck. I know it's big, but we have also big things in our heart and our lives that are unjust that God's like, let me deal with that first. Let me work on that first, amen? But at the same time, we must also fight for justice. And so that leads us to number two, second point today. Number two, only other point, it is our responsibility to do justice. So what is our responsibility? We have a responsibility to do justice. So I'm going to read the verse that we might know very well, right? Micah chapter six, verse eight, what does it say? It says, he has shown you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me say this, there's a responsibility to do justice, Uh, The prophet says, man, listen, humans, God has shown you what to do, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him. This is what God wants to do. Now, let me just define justice, because I'm like, what is justice? We haven't really defined that yet. A simple definition is justice just means to make right. Justice means to make right. I mean, biblically speaking, it's more than that. Let me kind of get to you in the Bible. This word justice in Hebrew, it's this word mishpah. All right. It's kind of fun to say, say mishpah and do that phlegm. Come on, try it. Say mishpah. All right, better. Um, and the idea is this, ju- this word mishpah is used over 200 times in the Bible, over 200 times. When God says something over 200 times, I, I think we should pay attention. Over 200 times, God says that we should stand for mishpah or do mishpah. We should do justice. Here's what it means. It just means giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. Do you guys hear that? Giving people what they're due, whether punishment or protection or care. So there's a negative side and there's a positive side. Meaning when it comes to justice, if someone did a crime or something wrong, we want justice. We want mishpah. We want what they're due. They they deserve a a sentence equal to that crime. But at the same time, justice is primarily used as using persons who are people who are oppressed or poor or whatever it might be, we are to give them protection and care. We're to come alongside them and help them. This is very interesting. The Bible uses it in two ways, a negative way and a positive way. Uh, This verse in Leviticus 24, it's a negative way. It says in Leviticus 24, you have to have the same mishpah for the alien and the native born. Meaning, uh, there needs to be the same punishment whether you're a resident or you're a foreigner. There needs to be the same justice applies to all. So the negative side, if you mess up, you're going to have the same punishment as someone else. There should be the same justice for everyone. In the positive light, listen to this, it's Proverbs 31.9. He says, yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Speak up for them. Show them support, care, come alongside them, see that they get justice. It's used in two different ways. So let me just give you a couple quick definitions because what is justice? Justice is first uh, retributive justice. I always can't say that. Retributive justice. It's the guilty party is punished for their crime, which is in proportion to the offense. And there is restorative justice, seeking out vulnerable and oppressed and helping, offering care and support. So this idea that when it comes to justice, uh, there needs to be more of it. It's retributive. 
Like the idea is we're going to um, punish them according to their crime. Then there's restorative, which is, you know, we need to come alongside them and help them restore him, restore them. Now, when the Bible uses this word justice, it's used more in the positive light, saying show them justice in this positive, come alongside the widow, the fatherless, the poor, the oppressed, and you're going to show them care, support, help. That might be financial, that might be counseling, that might be social status or cladis, or trying to like clout, I mean, trying to get them kind of up in your circle to help pull them up. He said, you're going to show them help and support in some way, in some capacity. Again, Keller went on to say this, biblical justice differs in significant ways from all the secular alternatives without ignoring the concerns of any of them. Yet Christians know little about biblical justice despite its prominence in the scriptures. This ignorance is having two effects. First, large swaths of the church still do not see doing justice as part of their calling as individual believers. Second, Many younger Christians, recognizing this failure of the church and wanting to rectify things, are taking up one or another of the secular approaches to justice, which introduces distortions into their practices and lives. It goes with the same thing I just mentioned earlier. We, we ignore it completely, or we embrace the worldview of justice, and he's saying, no, ours is much more whole and complete. So here's why I'm bringing this up today. Jesus basically called this out amongst the religious people of their day. If you remember in Matthew 23, it's that famous chapter, it's the woe chapter, like, woe is you Pharisees, woe is you Pharisees. Jesus said, woe is you Pharisees, you're missing the point of justice. It's Matthew 23, 23, it's up here. Jesus said this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He goes, Pharisees, you're so religious, you tithe everything. You give 10% of everything, even your herbs and spices. You will take your herbs and spices and divide up and say, there's 10% for God. You're so religious, you have that down, but you neglect and you miss out on the weightier matters, which is justice and mercy and faith. He's like, you've missed the point. You got caught so much in your religion and the way you care out your religion, but you've missed the point of justice. And this is the heart of Jesus, church. This is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is not that we just do this well, we sing well, we come to groups well. We, it's not just that. It's like, are we actively being the extension of the hands and feet of Jesus to the poor, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow? So this is one of those things where I go, we have to participate in this. I think the greatest way we see this um, lived out is in Luke chapter 10. I think in Luke chapter 10, we have one of the greatest examples of what it means to do justice, to, to ha- pay a price for someone else's benefit, to put yourself at a loss to help someone else. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10? I want you just to read it. Luke chapter 10. I'd love everyone to read that. And again, do me a favor as you turn to Luke 10. I want to hear the pages of your Bible turning. Just helps me mentally know that you're with me. You can exaggerate the sound if you want. Just appreciate that. Just make the pages. Yeah, there we go. All right, Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. I think this is probably the greatest parable uh, that Jesus gave, one of the greatest parables Jesus gave, one of the most well-known parables Jesus gave. There's been laws called the Good Samaritan Laws based off this parable in different countries. It's, it's just fascinating. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, let's just read what happens in this moment. Luke 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and he tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, stop there. Uh, the idea of a lawyer is not just like a lawyer like our day, but this, this person knew the law. They knew the Bible. They probably had the first five books of the, of the Bible memorized, if not all 40 books of the Bible memorized. Like they knew their stuff. And I love this question. They're testing Jesus, but I love the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
What a good question. Even if they really don't want to know the answer, can we just say, this is a great question. Wouldn't it be great if today people would be like, Christians, what can I do to, eternal, like, to inherit eternal life? I'm like, oh my gosh, you just threw me an alley-oop. Thank you so much. Like, this is a phenomenal question. I really do wish people cared more about this. We care more about like, God, who should I marry? Where should I work? Where should I live? I wish we'd say, God, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, notice the problem in that question. The problem is this, what shall I do? He, he, again, there's a thought or the emphasis on maybe my work saved me, and that's not how it works. It's not what I do that saves me. It's what Jesus did that saves me. But he starts off with this assumption, what shall I do? And so Jesus, who's you know, a Jedi ninja as well, says to him, uh, verse 26, well, what is written in the law? What is your reading say of it? I, I love that. He's like, brilliant guy, come to Jesus. Jesus like, let me ask you a question. Verse 27, so he answered and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, this is like classic parent-child relationship thing. It's like, you know, all your kids ask you a question, and they're like, you know the answer. What's the answer? Well, I should clean my room. You've spoken white, you know? And I was like, that classic, like, the, he already knew the answer before he asked it. But it says this, he wanted to justify himself. Like, there's all this, there's this little lawyer in all of us. It's like, yeah, Jesus, but define the terms here. Who is my neighbor? Got him. And he's like, okay, let me give you a story. So verse 30, Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him, who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, uh, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is a brilliant story. By the way, so the, Jesus goes, hey, there's a man. The man's obviously in their context is Jewish. This Jewish man is leaving Jerusalem, going to Jericho. Now, by the way, Jericho back then and still to this day, you can see the ruins of Jericho. It's a thousand feet below sea level. Jerusalem's about 3,000 feet above sea level. So there's about a 4,000, you know, decline to Jericho. It's 17 miles long. So there's 4,000 feet and 17 miles long. This guy would make a journey in a day. He'd try to go down to Jericho. Now, it was just like, a, it was known. It was known as that's a dangerous road. You don't go there alone. That's like a dangerous place. It's a dangerous road. I mean, come on, what is he doing? And he's attacked. He's robbed. He's beaten. He's laying there half dead. A priest passed by and goes, I'm not going to deal with that. No way. A Levite passed by. I'm not going to deal with that. No way. Then Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. Now, this is fascinating. I mean, I can't imagine Jesus goes, and then a Samaritan. And you've you got to understand because that to them was like their enemy. Samaritans were the half-breeds. They're half-Jewish, half-Assyrian. They, they had their own temple, their own, kind of took from Judaism a little bit. The, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. I mean, there's a lot of anger and bitterness and hatred there. Not only that, Jews would pray this prayer. They'd actually say, Lord, on the resurrection day, please don't let there be any Samaritans. That's not a good prayer to pray. Like, there is a real disgust and hatred for the Samaritans. And Jesus makes the hero of the story to this Jewish lawyer, the hero of the story is a Samaritan. And he's saying, look at the Jewish, your Jewish brothers, they pass them by, they pass them by. So who was the true neighbor? Who, who truly showed him love? Who truly showed him justice in that moment? 
And he goes, obviously, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't say, well, the Samaritan. He's like, oh, the one who showed mercy. Now, the reason why I, I bring all this up is we got to see this. This is the, a really good example of what doing justice is. Doing justice will be an inconvenience to you to, for the benefit of others. Doing justice is costly. Cost a man time, stopped his day, stopped his journey. It possibly cost him his life. He put himself in danger to help this man. You think about the priest or the Levite. They could have walked by and been like, this might be a trap. This might be, they're maybe setting me up. They're maybe trying to hurt me. <laughs> maybe this guy's faking it. I don't have time. I'm in a hurry. I'm in a rush. But notice with the Samaritan how he approaches this. And I want to say this, when it comes to doing justice, you guys, listen, it will cost you. It will cost me. He brings him to an end. He, he bandages his wounds. He pays for him for a couple of nights. Listen, doing, doing justice is not a cheap thing. It'll take time. It'll take energy. It'll take money. It'll take your gifts. It'll take your talents. It'll take me, you putting yourself in a vulnerable situation to help someone else out. Mishpah is that. Justice is that. It's how can I put myself in a vulnerable position to help someone else, to support someone else. This is doing justice. Uh, one author, his name is Bruce Walke, he says, the righteous, listen, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. You see, the righteous person, and, and notice, when you see that word righteous throughout the Bible, the understanding of a righteous person is, I will put myself at a disadvantage for the advantage of others. But the wicked is saying, I will put myself in a place of advantage for the disadvantage of others. See, doing justice is putting yourself at a disadvantage for the advantage of others. And this is what the story is. And I love this story, first of all. By, by the way, this is Jesus, man. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is that half-breed, you could say, fully God, fully man. Jesus came to his own, his own rejected him. Jesus came to his own, and they wanted nothing to do with him. But that, that's a Samaritan, rejected by his own. Jesus comes to us who's half dead, naked, bleeding, dying. He fixes us up. He cleans us up. He, gives, he brings us to a place. He heals our wounds. Jesus, the one who said, I'll put myself at a disadvantage for your advantage. You see, that's just a beautiful message for us to go, how, why should I do justice? Look at Jesus. I mean, this is what Jesus did. So when we talk about doing justice, it's costly. You put yourself at a disadvantage for the advantage of others. It'll take time, energy, and money. So here's what I want to bring up. Now, the Bible, as I said, there's a couple hundred verses on who to do justice for and how to do justice. There's five main people the Bible points out how, who to help. Just, I want to list these off really quick. All right, here's, the Bible says, here's who to do justice for. The widow, do it for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant and foreigner, the poor and the oppressed. The Bible kind of looks at these five categories and says, you need to do mishpah for these five different categories. The widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, the oppressed. Like this is who are specifically <clears throat> to go out and help and say, you're at a disadvantage. I need to leverage what I have for your benefit. My time, my money, my status, my influence, my whatever, for you. This is the idea. It's mishpah. I'm going to help these five categories. So here's what it means to do justice. Now, I'm going to do this again. We're going to read, I'm just going to read some verses to you. It'll, it'll be quick. But just here's the idea of doing justice. Ready? You guys ready? Isaiah chapter 1. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Zechariah 7. Thus says the Lord, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your hearts. Jeremiah 22, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Psalm 82, 
Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Leviticus chapter 19, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Church, do we get it yet? He's saying over and over, do justice, do justice. This needs to be part of your lifestyle. There's no option. There's no like, that's for the really serious, mature Christians. That's for those who take it serious. That's for those who work at a church. This is the call for all of us. And say, look at the orphan, the widow, the fatherless, the poor, the oppressed. Do justice. Speak for those who have no voice. Now, the idea is this. God shows no partiality. He doesn't. God, God doesn't show any partiality, rich, poor. But he does say, speak up for those who don't have a voice. Speak up. Show justice. You know, Jesus, when he was speaking to disciples, right before he was going to be crucified, in Matthew chapter 25, he, he talks about in the end of days. And he, he made this famous, you know, sentence or phrase. He says, inasmuch as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Jesus talks about visiting those in prison, the poor, the neglected, the oppressed. And they're like, Jesus, when? When did we visit you? When did, when did we do those things? And he says, inasmuch as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. See, Jesus was essentially saying the way you treat the poor is in reality how you treat me. The way you regard, regard the poor is how you regard me. How do you view the poor, the widow, the oppressed, the fatherless, the immigrant, the whoever it might be? How do you view them? He says, that's how you view and treat me. Church, there's just such a high weight and call on this for us to live like Jesus in this moment. You know, I read Amos 5 earlier, but let me just point this out. In Isaiah chapter 1, God is like, I'm so sick of your feasts and your burnt offerings and your festivals, and I'm so sick of everything that you're doing spiritually. He goes, but you need to seek justice. Repent of your evil. Do good. God is saying, I don't care how religious you are, how good you think you are. Seek justice. Do good. The point I'm trying to get is we could do everything right, but if we're not doing justice right, we're, we are missing the point. We're neglecting the weightier matters, as Jesus would say, which is justice and mercy and faith. This is so near and dear to the heart of God. My thing is this, you guys, and I want to make it really clear, by the way. I'm not trying to guilt you and guilt our church into being more, to do more justice work. It like, kind of feels like that. It's not my heart. Like, just isn't that your job? Like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to like, guilt us into things. No, that's not the pastor's job at all. Here's my heart in this process. My heart, I could never motivate you enough because this might last a week and then it'd fade away and you're like, okay, I'll do justice for like a day and then it just stops and dies. This obviously has to be a lifestyle, but how do we get there? How do we get there? Like, how do we get to this place where we go, Jesus, I see the value in what you're saying of doing justice for the poor, the oppressed, the widow. I see the, I see the value in that. How do we get to this place? Let me just remind you, according to the scriptures, that, that, that was you and I. We were the poor. We were the oppressed. We were the ones half dead on the side of the road. But God, who is rich in mercy, came and saved us. You know, 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, God, who is rich, became poor, so you who are poor might become rich. The only way you and I can ever do justice is if we truly grab, grasp the, the brevity of the gospel. Like, if we truly get the gospel. If we truly get that, oh man, that was me. I had no voice. I had no one speaking up for me. But Jesus, the great advocate, came to my defense and spoke up for me on my behalf. 
Wait, Jesus became the Father to me? Jesus spoke up and became that everything I needed in that moment, in that time. Like Jesus is the one who did justice for me. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Jesus put himself at a disadvantage for my advantage. Like God did that. The, the only way you and I can ever truly get that, that, the idea of justice and truly give ourselves over to it is if we understand the beauty and the richness of the gospel of Jesus. That God, first of all, left it all for us. God, first of all, paid a huge price for us. Church, here's why I'm saying this. I don't want to miss the point of saying I love God but see my brother in need and shut up my heart. I don't want to say, God, I love you, and I worship you, and I sing to you, and God's like, your songs, nothing. If you love me, how come you shut up your heart to the person around you? And as much as you've done to least of these, you've done to me. And I want to end with this verse. It's James chapter 2, verse 15. James says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I, I just love that. I can so imagine that. Someone's on the side of the road, hurting, naked, poor, hungry, you know, be, be filled, be blessed, brother. Like you offer them nothing. She's like, no, how could you do that? Faith without works, man, that's dead. That's dead. The whole, the whole point for you and I is that was us, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, toward us, died for our sins, took our place, redeemed us, bought us at a price. The point for you and I is if we truly say we have faith in Jesus, if we truly say that, the grace of Jesus is going to melt our heart for the other, for the oppressed, for the poor, for the foreigner, for the widow. It's going to melt our heart. for It just is. I can't, fake, I can't force that. You can't fake that. You might, you might try for a week or two and it'll fade away, but the gospel of Jesus will make you play the long game for justice. Let me say this. We're here to play the long game. And that might mean we have to be really patient. That might mean it might take a while before we see things and see change, and that's okay. We're not here just to do one thing or say one thing. This will take a while. We truly want to do justice. Now, before I talk about how we do that, let me just say this. I just want you to sit in the gospel for a little bit. I want you to sit in the finished work of Jesus and what he's done for you, and let that be the love of Christ that compels you to do justice. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it's the love of Christ that compels me. Let it be the love of Jesus that compels you to meet the needs of others. Amen? But how do we do this? What are we going to do? And there's so many ways we can try to approach this. I think there's a, a personal, individual responsibility, and I think just we as the local church have a responsibility. And we're still trying to process that and be part of justice work. Uh, if you guys remember a couple months ago, we, we gave you guys one of these. It's called our Discipleship Pathway. Uh, this is something for 2021 that we want to implement and do. It's be with Jesus, learn from Jesus, do what Jesus did. And each category has like different uh, facets to that. Under do what Jesus did, after we're first with him and learn from him, we have on page 15 the section called do justice or doing justice. And I don't know if you'll ever see me read it. It's okay. But there's some local ministries we are trying to partner with. And we don't want to just say we're going to be a church that does. Like, we really truly want to do justice. This year, we've been able to give to these ministries like Compassion, like Four Kids, like Heart to Heart, like Be the Bridge. These are ministries that we've been able to financially give to, but we also want to figure out how we can come alongside them in better ways. So whether that's getting our small groups around a foster family, whether that's doing certain outreaches that might be with Be the Bridge and racial reconciliation, we want to figure out how can we be part of this. Our church locally just wants to partner with the city in different ways to do justice. And it might start off by just building relationships. It might start really small, and that's okay. For the last couple of years, we've been a part of the Martin Luther King Jr. Parade, and I've seen the same couple of people, and they've stopped me like, we're so thankful to see you guys here. Thank you for showing love and support. We want to, it might start small. It might move to bigger things, bigger conversations, bigger ways of doing justice. Some of those ways are going to be elder care, which is under heart to heart. We'd love to get groups that serve and love on elders that in the convalescent communities. That might be the widow. They've lost a loved one. They're there. They're alone. 
We want to be part of, like I said, four kids, foster care ministry. We financially give to them, but we also want to come alongside them in different ways. There's, there's so many things we want to be a part of, and we obviously can't do them all, but here's a few things we can start with. And let me just say this, you know, I want to say thank you guys. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being part of. Thank you for serving. It's beautiful. This year we had a deacon fund and an elder fund. We were able to help pay for people's rent, help get them groceries, help just randomly bless people. Uh, we're hoping to increase that next year. I just want to say thank you. We're a small church, but I'm so blessed by the love and support I see from our church. It's, it's unbelievable to me. You know, I, uh, there's obviously so much more in growth and perspective I want to see, but it's humbling for me to be able to do what I do and to serve with you guys because you genuinely have a love for Jesus and people. And it's beautiful. And I see, us, I see this awakening in many of your hearts going, I do want to be a part of doing justice. Listen, the church's job is not primarily to be social a- activists. It's not. We're here to make disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. That is our first responsibility, Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But a part of the work of the ministry is to do justice. It's a big part. And so we want to be a part of that. And I just want to say thank you. It's a blessing to be a part of. It's a blessing to watch you guys. And I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to continue to do that. And I just want to spend some time and say, Jesus, thank you. You know, we really do hope to bring renewal and healing and Jesus' kingdom to earth in our communities, in our homes, and it will take a while, and let's play the long game, and it will t- take commitment, it'll take tears, it'll take tough conversations. It, this is the whole point of, you know, this a real talk series, the gospel, and listen, the world should not be leading the way when it comes to justice. It should not. The church should be leading the way when it comes to any sort of justice. I mean, we have the best foundation. We have the only foundation for justice and righteousness. We have the true foundation. And as image bearers of God, man, we're going to seek to do justice. Because as he says, I, the Lord, love justice. So we're going to love justice. And we're going to love justice ministry. And I just want to say thank you guys. And it's a privilege to do this with you. I just want to end by praying and worshiping. So let's do this. I'm going to pray. We're going to have the worship team come up here. But we just want to end by saying thank you, Jesus. Continue to provide. Continue to raise the people to do justice. Lord, send me. Here I am. Send me. Start small. Start in your community group. Lead the way in your community group. Hey, I want to adopt this uh, heart-to-heart ministry. I want to adopt this four kids family. Like, we need people who want to step up and lead in that. Because we cannot do that alone. So I just say please pray through that and say, Lord, send me. Here I am. I want to use what you've given me for your glory. So let's just pray. Let's just thank the Lord. And uh, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So let's just thank him. Father, we thank you. We just want to praise you. God, there is no one like you. You alone are worthy. You alone are just, are true, are right. Jesus, we thank you for the example you've given us, that you have come to set captives free to preach good news to the poor, to just free those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you did justice. And that's what you're doing even through us, through your church. And Lord, we do want to just posture our hearts in a way that says, here we are, Lord, send us, use us. Jesus, I thank you for what it is you're already doing in just micro ways. And we ask that you just continue to grow that, Jesus, that this would be for your glory. For, for just your honor, that people would see our good works and glorify you, Father, in heaven. That is our desire. So Lord, we ask that you'd make us a people of justice. Let's not be a one-time thing, but that we'd realize that we were the outcast, the poor, the fatherless, and yet you became all of that for us. You became all of that for us and more. Thank you, Jesus. We just want to praise you now in your wonderful name. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's just close our time by worshiping.